This is John Jackson Miller, writer of Star Wars A New Dawn, and welcome to Execute Chapter 66. Hello and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight we are talking about Padawan by Kirsten White. I assume it's Kirsten, that's how it looks. My name is Beth Van Dusen and with me as always are Ryan Schweck and Chad J. Shank. Over to you first, Chad. This is your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We are going to spoil this young adult novel. Over the course of our conversation, we may also spoil anything else Star Wars that crosses our minds. So you have been warned. Ryan, give me that sweet, sweet news. I mean, not a lot news-wise since last we talked. I mean... Andor is still the majority of interviews and this and that. And hopefully by the time you are listening to this, you've watched the first couple of episodes many, many times and experienced the greatest Star Wars that has ever existed. They did, one of the big Andor things though, is they did announce that season two will not come out until 2024. So there's going to be a while, which I think is okay. It'll start, you know, that's going to be the time jump year where it starts catching up to Rogue One and all that stuff. And uh, I, I did think they had an interview with, um, what's his name? The uh, Terry Gilroy. Gilroy. And I thought it was really fascinating where he was talking about one of the things or issues that he sees with Star Wars right now is the pitfalls of letting fans be in control. And that, you know, when he came on to Rogue One to replace, you know, everything that was going on, he wasn't like a huge Star Wars fan. And that kind of freed him from some of the trappings that he thinks have plagued the sequel trilogy and to the shows to some extent. You know, I definitely recommend checking out the interview. It was published in a couple of different places. But, you know, as much as we love, you know, Favreau and Filoni and stuff, like, I kind of see his point in some places. Like, sometimes it gets a little too fan servicey, y and yeah. sometimes you can kind of feel that this is like a fan, you know, that just wanted to see something. I mean, I think we've talked about if if you let me make a Star Wars show, it would be ridiculous. It would like, you know, obviously Plakoon would show up for some reason. Like there would just be random starfighters I wanted to see. I'd be bringing characters back left and right for no reason. So yeah, like it, it's an interesting perspective. And I think there's some merit there. I mean, I think there's some huge merit to having fans do it. Um, and, you know, you feel that kind of, Especially with Filoni, obviously, you kind of see that love for it in there. But sometimes it can get out of control. Other news, Rogue Squadron has been officially removed from the Star Wars schedule. Surprising no one. I have doubts that movie may ever see the light of day. But, you know, it just goes back to Kennedy and them seem to be real focused on the TV shows. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And I think they're waiting until they can schedule something and know it's going to come out and know it's going to be a hit. And who knows when that's going to happen. Um, and then our last bit of news, 
on October 25th, Ashley Eckstein is putting out her new, I don't even know what you want to call it, Star Wars lifestyle book called Star Wars Every Day. Apparently, it is a Star Wars guide to cooking and party planning for people of every age. <laughs> so, like, you know, I will, I will be sure to look at that book when I'm waiting in Target for somebody. <laughs> so that's about all the news for this week. Chad, what kind of comics we got going on? We got Bounty Hunters number 27 by Saxon Villanelli. Um, after Tonga and the gang's failed mission on the Vermilion, they're desperate for work and may have to take a job from the woman that bested them, Akira and the Crimson Dawn. Um, and then there's some stuff with Valens. Uh, Obi-Wan number 505 by Cantwell and Adriana Mello. The sandstorm has come and gone, but Ben has time for one more last look back to the past. Uh, this time a story about a stormtrooper that Obi-Wan once found in the Dune Sea and took care of and, and saved his life. I'm not 100% sure what this miniseries was supposed to illuminate for me, but a few of the stories were interesting and I enjoyed it. I just wish there had been a little... Just wish there had been a little more to it. It was, it was, it was a tie-in with the show, but the book itself, like, I don't know. It didn't really, like I said, it didn't illuminate anything for me. So on tonight's episode, we are talking about the new Star Wars Padawan book by Kirsten White, which goes over and explores Obi-Wan's Padawan days. We get to kind of see him as a teenager. He's, what do we figure? He's like 14, is that right? 16. 16. Um, and we've gotten to see, especially over recent years, kind of more of the early life of a lot of the characters we know. We've talked about Leia, Padme, um, Obviously, we saw a lot of Anakin in the Clone Wars, and so we thought it would be fun to go around and just speculate what were other Star Wars characters like as teenagers. I want to know, what was Mon Mothma like as a teenager? Most likely to succeed. (laughs) Do you think she was like the overachiever but still had that like edge in class that was always like, they're like reading history and she's like, well, actually, and then reads you like some obscure text she knows about. I think she was an overachiever, but I actually think she was probably a pretty straight arrow. Mm-hmm. If I had to guess that she was a pretty straight arrow and, and that um, because she, she needs to be, she's a reluctant leader. She's a reluctant wartime leader, you know, when it, when it comes time to the rebellion, I don't think it's her, I don't think uh, she ever saw herself as someone who would be leading an army. And so I, I would imagine her to be a very kind of straight laced. I mean, we, we know that girl from high school. We know the Mon Mothma from high school. She ran for class president. Mm-hmm. She was on the honor roll, you know, she was probably an overachiever. She's promising like a calf station in the cafeteria. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she seems like she'd be low key about it. Like she wasn't the annoying person. She wasn't like a. She's not Tracy Flick. Yes. <laughs> that's exactly who I was about to say. She wasn't shoving a, a blue milk cupcake in your face trying to get your vote. 
she she was she was the one actually like hey I'm gonna do some good round here in this student government make some change, but kind of you know low key not like shoving it down your throat trying to force you to come to a damn pep rally. All right, Beth, give us a name. I have three names because I need them all together. Oh uh, okay. Because I need Avar Chris, Elzar Man, and Stellan Geos all together. We've discussed it before. Them horny. as teenagers. Horny. <laughs> they were horny. Horny Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Harry Potter gets a little horny. Um, yeah, they were. Their their teenage years probably reads more like Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> you know, they were experimenting with the Force and get, getting high off, you know magic mushrooms from Ilum or something and, and doing all sorts of naughty stuff in their dorm. Like they were wild. They were wild. There's no way they weren't wild. Do you think like Stellan would like try to be like, come on guys, we, we shouldn't do this. And then he Maybe. reluctantly gets pushed into it by a haver. She's like, Oh, don't you want to be my light here? This will light you up, buddy. And then, <laughs> I feel like he he fell asleep sometimes, and then things got real weird after he fell asleep. Like, oh, is he passed out? All right, now it can get fun. (laughs) I I solemnly swear they were up to no good. They they play a lot of the game called, is it the Death Sticks or is it the Force? (laughs) Which they decide. (laughs) Oh, they were definitely smoking Death Sticks. They were definitely sneaking Death Sticks out, out behind the temple. Absolutely. Absolutely. They were wild. They were they were they were definitely wild. There's no way. I, I hope we get that story actually. Yeah, me too. Chad, who's your who you got? Orson Krennic. Oh, that's a good Ooh. one. He's obviously not popular, but he wants to be. So is he that kid that like tags along with the popular kids? always trying to get their attention like that little dog in the Looney Tunes cartoons. Mm-hmm. At what age did he start wearing a cape? I like to think he tried it one day and yeah. got shoved in a locker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like that kid that tried the fedora in ninth grade. Exactly. The cape yeah. is the fedora of the Star Wars galaxy. Some yeah. people like Lando can pull it off. Some people can't. Some people cannot. <laughs> you know, what was it? There's a podcast I listened to. He was talking about how he um he went out and he bought a leather duster because of how cool Idris Elba looked on Luther with it, right? <laughs> and he got it home and he's like, "Oh, what makes that look cool is not the leather jacket; it's looking like Idris Elba." <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, but you know, people try things, and I think maybe he tried the cape out to. You know, capes are a thing in Star Wars, so it's not completely out of the realm to, to try a cape. But he uh, he decided to ma- try to make it, make his cape happen, and, and it didn't work. And I don't know. I just see him as like the kid that, like, you know, we've we've talked about him in terms of him being kind of new money. So I see him like his car is like just a little older than the popular kid's car, you know, or his sorry his speeder. He was probably also definitely a kid that was trying out some accents. <laughs> Where one day yes. all of a sudden there's a slight British <laughs> tone to him. We, and he, we all know a kid who pretended to be British for at least a year. And has some weird explanation about how his family's from Britain and he goes and visits them on the weekends or something. Yeah. That was uh, the first one that came to me. Uh, 
All right, the second one, because I want to see if it matches. What do you think Qui-Gon was like at this age? A royal pain in the ass. Good, that's what I think, too. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was on my list. Yeah, I, I can't imagine him not being. I mean, he's his master is Dooku. Um, not necessarily known to be a man of great levity or a man with any kind of sense of humor whatsoever. But man, he was probably, I, I bet he annoyed even like the people who were on his side. Mm-hmm. Even the people who liked him, he annoyed. I feel like he's the kid, like class is over. It's time. Everybody's packing up and he just won't shut up. He keeps asking <laughs> questions and the teacher won't dismiss because he keeps saying stuff. And the teacher doesn't want to really want to answer this crap anyway. Oh, he got into arguments with teachers over whether or not he should do his homework. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, "Why do I need to do homework when I'm, you know, I'm 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 per- I'm I'm perfecting the methods on my own? I don't need to do homework." <laughs> that, that okay, I'm I'm projecting. That was me in high school. <laughs> that was me in high school. Why why do I need to do my geometry homework? I got a ninety five on the test. <laughs> what do you mean you're giving me a C? I also feel he probably like had a lot of misinformed views on the Jedi Order. Like he was that kid that like had made up all these things in his head. He has no experience to back it up, but just wouldn't let it go. Like, come on, dude, <laughs> you don't know anything yet. He's probably insufferable. Yeah, <laughs> Vance, you got another. Um. Okay, so. Between Grogu and 900 years old, Yoda had to have been a Padawan at some point. Yeah. Sometime. I want to see little Yoda, too. I want to see younger, not like baby gurgle Yoda, but, you know, like, he's kind of a smartass. And I assume he's always been kind of a smartass. And I want to see young Padawan smartass Yoda. Maybe he was the class clown. That's what I was just thinking. That he's that kid in the gifted class that's really smart and just constantly cracking jokes. And <laughs> maybe he talked. Maybe he started talking backwards just to troll people, and it stuck. <laughs> you know, he did that just to annoy his uh, his compatriots, uh, his his fellow students, or whatever. Um, yeah, I think I think young Yoda is definitely a rascal. I can't imagine him being otherwise. He had a sense of humor up until the end. So he doesn't get enough credit for how funny he is. Uh, All right. Uh, Also with Yoda, though, do you think he failed all his classes also? Like he's one of those kids that's like too smart for all of it. He definitely failed grammar. Yeah. (laughs) The gifted class wasn't gifted enough for him. So he's just checking out, staring out the window of the temple. By the time he did, by the time of his senior year, he was taking all independent study classes. <laughs> yep. Again, I'm projecting. <laughs> uh, he's like, they're like in class, and like somebody asks a question, and the teacher like slyly looks over to him, like, "Is that right? Come on, buddy, help me out here." Um. All right, Chad, what you got next? What do you think Dash Rendar was like as a teenager? <laughs> Uh, not much different than an adult. <laughs> Probably still insufferable. I, it's a trick question. All you have to do is watch Solo. <laughs> but Dash is just the dumb jock, I think. <laughs> like, um, all right, for an X-Men, 
And I actually like at first John down then started like really thinking about it. What do you think Finn was like? A very slow learner. <laughs> like he was not because his heart's not in it. Mm-hmm. You know, his heart was never in the, the training. You know, I'm surprised to this day that he got through the training and actually got to be a stormtrooper. Yeah, that's yeah. what I want to see. Because I imagine he's failing most things. <laughs> yeah. Well, he can fight. He knows he, he's not a bad shot. He can fight. He can't. He is capable. Mm-hmm. They do show him being capable in all these things. He's just always questioning stuff. But he can't. But the thing is, in the First Order, he'd be like Qui-Gon in the, that sense. But you can't. In the First Order, you can't be questioning things. I feel like he's in like the remedial order. <laughs> Either that or he's the, like the, or he was a brooding loner. Maybe he could have been the brooding loner. Cause he, he like doesn't believe in any of this nonsense and he's kind of off on his own. Um, and uh, I don't know. I could see him. I could see him being the, an outcast. Um, I also imagine his armor never fits right. No matter what they give him. <laughs> They all look nice, and he's just kind of like hanging off to the side. So you're making him out to be like Private Pile, <laughs> is what you're doing. You're turning him into Private Pile. I don't know if he's Private Pile. <laughs> Although Private Pile turned out to be a pretty good, yeah. pretty good shot. He was able to hit himself real easy. Is there any other ones y'all thought of? That was just some. Yeah, a lot of the ones I came up with, I'm like, oh, we've seen that as a teenager. You know, we've seen that person as a teenager because um, a lot of Star Wars characters start off as teenagers um, or or close to it. So, um, but uh, uh, I mean, we have we seen? Did we see Tarkin at that age in his book? Yeah, because that's yeah. when he goes and hunts the. That's right. Beast on yeah. the plateau and all that mess. Yeah. And really, I imagine any of the Imperials besides Tarkin, it's about the same story. Like, Piet, all of them are just middle of the road, kind of schlubby kids. They can't be too smart, but they can't be too dumb. Yep. You know, they, they got to be right smack dab in the middle on the intelligence scale. They got to be right smack dab in the middle, except for the, you know, but they got to be very obedient. And, and As I say, except they all strangely have like strong political views that they have no basis for whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> got to have the right accent. Mm-hmm. Where, where do the Imperials find all their accented uh, officers? They teach them the accent and officers. I, I feel like that's a, a, an academy class, right? Yeah. How to speak like an Imperial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, no, the only, only other one I had was Yoda. I, I was going to mention Yoda as well. Like I, I would like, I would like to see Yoda as a rebellious teenager um, getting all the laughs. So, I mean, obviously we left out Plukun, but that's because we know he's the most popular student yeah. at the academy he's like the yeah. ferris bueller of the temple now there's a book i would read plukun's day off, day off. <laughs> <laughs> save flu is flashing it's, it's, in coruscant save, save flu <laughs> oh god he's on he's he's, he's yeah him and his friends sneak into the senate and yeah <laughs> spin around on the little things yeah He's the Sasha's king of Corellia. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're All speaking, right. speaking of a 16 year old Jedi. 
uh, as Ryan said this week, we read Padawan by Kirsten White, um, which I do believe is a YA novel. I, I do believe. It's tough being 16-year-old Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's just made apprentice to the famous Qui-Gon Jinn, who doesn't seem to like him very much. He's getting picked on by a little by his friends and fellow Padawans, and he hasn't just been feeling a strong connection to the Force lately. All Obi-Wan has ever wanted to be, not that he really had a choice, was a Jedi Knight. But, he does, but does he really have the right stuff for the job? One day while attempting to meditate, he finds an inscription on a wall near the map of an unknown planet. Scratched into the surface are two names, Comac Vitus and Wayseeker Orla Jirani, both Jedi of the High Republic, as we know if you listen to the show. He does a little research and learns that Orla had marked this unknown world as a point of interest, but had never finished her report on it. Obi-Wan, still reticent to talk to Qui-Gon about anything, goes to his master and says, hey, I think this could be a thing. And Qui-Gon says, this might be a thing. And Obi-Wan, by the way, is really tired of staying home at the temple while his fellow Padawans are out having adventures. He would like to try his own if possible. So after presenting his scant evidence to his master, and I mean, this is real thin. It's a real thin premise that he just sees a couple of names on a wall and goes, all right. Qui-Gon surprisingly agrees to go on this mission. Get a shuttle ready, boy. We're going to track down this very thin lead you just now just now got a hunch about. When the time comes, Obi-Wan has a shuttle ready. He gets his, an astromech droid, which surprisingly survives the story. But Qui-Gon doesn't show up when he's supposed to. In a moment of sheer impetuousness and rebellion, Obi-Wan decides to go on the mission anyway, without his master, knowing full well it could get him in a giant pile of poodoo if and when he gets home. He travels to the planet of Lenara, a place that is basically alive and trying to kill you all the time. There, he meets a group of lost children who seem to be sensitive in the Force, who are the descendants of the people who once crashed on the planet. Obi-Wan befriends them, starts to learn their ways, and finds out that how they tap into the Force, what they call the power, is to travel to a scary cave on the planet, harvest these little glowing orbs, and eat them. This gives them Jedi-like powers that help them survive on the less-than-hospitable world. Obi-Wan, though, through a little deduction, figures out that the harvesting of these orbs is what makes the planet hostile throwing it out of balance, making the animals vicious, the plant life deadly. This corruption of the planet that their parents started has turned, against, has turned the planet against them. Obi-Wan tries to get the others to see this, but most of them ain't having it. And then a man arrives, a survivor of the initial crash, someone who used to live there and who claims to be the uncle of two of the children. He and his crew have come to rescue the children, but not really. Why he's really there is to mine and harvest all of the orbs, all of the power that he has basically been addicted to since he was younger. His plan is to mine the orbs, take the power for himself, and bail, leaving the kids to fend for themselves in a very angry world. Obi-Wan discovers this and manages to convince the others of the danger and to return their orbs to where they belong, back in the cave, to heal their relationship with the planet. Once that is done, the world begins to cooperate with them. The animals and the planets kind of on their side now as they stand up to the miners. Oh, and one of the miners is Dexter Jetzer. This is the origin story of how Obi-Wan meets Dex, if you ever wanted to know that. Eventually, the miners all turn against the uncle, and Obi-Wan ends up killing him by dropping a rock on him. 
That's the only death, I think, that Obi-Wan causes in the book. Maybe the first person he's ever killed, actually. I guess that's a big deal. After all is settled and with the bad guy, Obi-Wan gets his new friends to come with him off the planet and off to a new life where hopefully not everything will try to kill them. But what does Kenobi have to come home to? He still ran away without permission. He still doesn't think Qui-Gon wants him as a Padawan. What will be waiting for him when he returns, if anything? Turns out, all is good. Qui-Gon had intentionally not shown up for the mission, hoping Obi-Wan would go off on his own, have his adventure, and most importantly, reconnect with the Force, that cheeky bearded bastard. Answer this old SAT analogy for me. The Hunger Games is to Battle Royale as Padawan is to... Peter Pan. I was going to say Shatterpoint. Yeah. This is like a kid's version of Shatterpoint. It really is. (laughs) Yeah, I hope. I don't know if there's an audio version of this book. There is. I returned it. Does it start in the opening with Padawan? Because that's what I imagine every time. Just some David Lee Roth Padawan. (laughs) I might have kept it if it did. It's going to be hard to talk about this book because that's pretty much all that happens. It's a pretty light, breezy read. It's not a bad read. I think we talked us. So I read this book pretty much in one sitting. And I think I enjoyed it more because of that. Yeah. Because I went through and, you know, got the whole story. Because like you said, it not too much happens. And so if you kind of read it all at once, it kind of flows a little better, I think. I can see that. I read it in a couple of different chunks. And um, I was a little let down by, you know, I, I compare it to Shatterpoint. But, like, we've been getting a lot of these stories of, like, a Jedi finds a piece of information, goes on a mission, you know, to a planet, finds out something about the planet. I, I don't know. It, it seems like a very familiar structure we've been uh-huh. we've been encountering lately. We got a little bit of that with, um, even with the last uh, Obi-Wan book, even with um, Brotherhood. Yeah. Brotherhood had a little bit of this. But uh, it really reminded me of Shatterpoint, of them going to this world where, everybody where the planet's trying to kill you. I think I would have liked it better if I hadn't started with the audiobook. I returned to the audiobook and just got the Kindle version and read it and like finished it in like, you know, an hour because in the audiobook you're just okay, nothing's happening. Come on, let's let's speed this up. Let's speed up the nothing happening because they only talk so fast. And it's also not um a narrator I'm used to. I don't remember the narrator's name, but it's not Mark Thompson or Jonathan Davis. And it does, he does a fine Obi-Wan, but it's another one of those narrators who doesn't know how to do women's voices. And it's a fine book. But we get to meet Dex for the first time. Hooray. I mean, that's an important relationship in Obi-Wan's life. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a little shoehorned. It it, it is. I mean, we, we learn more about their relationship in brotherhood, I guess. I guess this is in between him becoming a, so he's a miner here, and then he becomes an information broker later. Yeah. Then he goes. Then he becomes a diner and owner. Then he becomes a sh- short order cook, as one does. As, short, as you do. short order cooks are all sketchy. We all know it. We've been to Waffle House. The Waffle House chef has been through some stuff. <laughs> chef. <laughs> I don't know what kind of chef. Waffle Houses you're going to. Yeah, they're called cooks, they're not called chefs. <laughs> I uh, one of the more interesting things that unfortunately happened very early in the book 
was all the stuff about Dooku is allowed to just come back and walk on around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> where, where's some more information about that, please? Well, he hasn't joined the Sith or nothing. He's just left the order. Right. But you're lost and, and you just walk back in the door and you're like, what's up? Well, there's nothing inherently evil about leaving. Not and evil, but I didn't know you could just come and go as you please. I was more intrigued with the fact that everyone thought Qui-Gon was going to go with him. Right. Yeah. Like that, the view of Qui-Gon by everybody else is, I mean, it makes sense, but yeah. He's on the verge of leaving too. You yeah. Know? He's not happy with the council at all. Um, and we know, we know that he was offered a role in the council several times and he turned it down. And, and so the fact that like, it's a real possibility in the mind of Obi-Wan and the other Padawans that he could just bail. So is this the first book where we found out that Qui-Gon did not pick Obi-Wan? I think so. Yeah. Like, I yeah. think that adds another layer going back to brotherhood where we were talking about kind of Obi-Wan's struggle with having the Padawan. And now you found out like the basis of his, like his didn't pick him and he didn't get to pick his. And so he's, it's almost like he exists outside the normal Jedi order of things. It does set him apart from others. He, he doesn't quite, despite everything, he doesn't quite fit in to the general mm-hmm. flow of things. You know, he seems to be an anomaly in his own way. There's something about Obi-Wan that's out of sync with the rest of the order. Yeah, I liked how it too at the beginning, you know, where he thinks that one Rodan is picking on him and that his friends have all ditched him. And then kind of through towards the end, you realize that he's the one that had pushed them away, that it wasn't them, it was him, that he isolated himself with all his doubts and things like that, which kind of mirrors <coughs> excuse me, what happens later. Yeah, I mean, I, I like, you know, now that you're bringing it up, I did like the first like 10 chapters of this book more than the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Like before he goes on the mission. Yeah, the stuff with him in the temple with the other Padawans, I liked that a lot. The planet stuff, man. The stuff with Qui-Gon, the stuff with him, Qui-Gon always forcing him to meditate and never taking him out on adventures. Like, all that stuff I liked. It's kind of like the movie Armageddon, where, like, it's thoroughly entertaining until they get into actual space. And then the movie just grinds to a halt. When it should be exciting, (laughs) it stops being exciting. And this is similar, where, like, there's a lot of cool stuff in these first few chapters about Dooku and Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's relationship to him. And, and, and like you said, his relationship to the other Padawans, the fact that he's doubting himself. I, I like the fact that Obi-Wan's like, I've been training my whole life to be a Jedi Knight. What if I'm not one? Mm-hmm. You know, what if I scrub out? You know, what if this is not for me? It's hard for a Padawan to come to that conclusion because they don't know anything else whatsoever. I think it kind of feeds into the, throughout this book he considers staying like i could just stay here when he still thinks they're not making the murder planet try to kill them um yeah he could stay there and do some good and have a family and then of course the end he realizes that's not the path that should be chosen but it kind of gives him a nice insight on anakin i think like he sees anakin as his padawan going through that same thing yeah Um, of wanting to have a normal life like, I mean, it wouldn't be a normal life staying in that planet. Don't get me wrong. It wouldn't be like, you know, you know, he would have been choosing something pretty hardcore to be living in. But, but yeah, the fact that he seriously, 
he almost comes to the conclusion that he's going to quit. Mm-hmm. It's not even like, oh, he's considering it. Like, no, he's like, I think I'm going to stay here. Yeah. It's almost not until, well, when the uncle comes and he realizes they don't. He's not part of that circle either. Right. And they're going to blow him up. Yeah. Um, remember how a couple weeks ago uh, I wanted to hear more about Orla Jereni? This is not how I wanted to hear more about her. It was just brief mentions. Don't bring her into this. Don't drag in the High Republic if that's all you're going to give me. Yeah, I don't mind. It's a connection. It's a connection, but I want more of it. Here's my question on the timeline. Because it says she goes and then doesn't ever make it back to record it. She no, she distracted. goes. She goes back for Comac, or not Comac. Um, that's when she goes to help. Uh, Elzar. It is. It is when she goes to help Elzar, yeah. right? That's what I got out of it. Is that yeah. she? She had to leave because she had to go help Elzar and do something else. It was just and one of her wayfinder trips. You yeah, know, she ends up dying before she can come back or do anything else about it. Well, we do learn. I mean, we wanted to know what it's like to be a wayseeker. And this is part of what it's like to be a wayseeker. She would find little things that she'd want to investigate and she'd be, have the freedom to just go do it. She wouldn't have to ask the council. She wouldn't have to have a Padawan tagging along with her. She could just find something of interest and go pursue it. I'm still not 100% sure what that thing of interest is. I guess it's just the, the power, the, 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 the little orbs underneath the earth um, that they eat. Well, when she found it, people weren't sucking down planet power, but... Uh, well, they had. They were just extinct. Yeah. yeah. The right? first. There was there was a whole other civilization before these kids that had done the exact same thing and been devoured by it all. Well, that's probably, look, I mean, the way it reads to me, the planet is not quite sentient, but it's close. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it taps into the force. Like, it manifests it in different ways, but this is... And we get very few examples of inorganics interacting with the force like this. You know, you've got kyber crystals, which are kind of presented in the same way sometimes as far as how they react to people and their feelings and things like that. But I thought that part was really interesting, how it had set up an ecosystem using the force. Obi-Wan's droid survives. Indeed it does. I can't believe it survived. I can't, I can't <laughs> wait for it to get its head chopped off. Mm-hmm. Where's that droid? He should have kept that one around. I'm sure it sure it gets killed at some point then. Uh, I sure mean, they does. get back and he's just like, see you, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He was he was just a loner. That's fair. Yeah, the droid saved your ass, though. I did find it thrilling, though, like when he decides to bail, when he when he decides to go on the mission on his own. Mm-hmm. I really did like that moment and that decision point. It felt it felt as monumental as it should. And I, th- I thought his moment of kind of like. Exuberant rebellion. And then his immediate regret yeah. uh, was really well done. But you're right, though. I, uh, the problem with the book is that when it gets to the planet, it's there's not a whole lot going on. You know, you got some monsters and you got some some fauna and some flora that are trying to kill you. And you got basically the Lost Boys living out in the jungle. And yeah, there's some cool stuff with the relationship between them. And they have the... Um, what race are they that need to be living in pond, living in water that are stuck there? The Kid Fistos. Yeah, the Nautilans, <laughs> Nautil- the Nautilans, right? Yes. 
but it's just it's just not that interesting and and not a whole. It's very straight. It's very linear. Mm. Once you once you get to that stuff, it's just Obi Wan becomes friends with them. He's friends with them. He's friends with them. The uncle shows up. He convinces them that they're not. He's not their friend. They fight against the uncle. The end. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a whole lot going on in in the back half of the book. It, it's, it's my biggest problem with it. It does seem to give him a little more backing on Qui Gon's teachings that don't trust the adults. Like the council isn't always right. Um, yeah. And I liked was it it's Odge and is it Cassius Curseus the brother and the sister, right? Castle. I liked Odge. I thought she was a good character. I thought they wrote her kind of struggle with this is what she knows and she has to be loyal to her family and that kind of realization like, yeah, no, they kind of screwed us. Well, yeah, and the idea that their parents gave them this kind of rule set and brought them out a certain way, you know, this, their parents taught them a certain way to live and now that their parents are gone, they're just living that way because it's the only way that they know. Yeah, it's Sounds awful familiar. Taking yeah. children, <laughs> indoctrinating them to use yeah. powers, follow the rules. <laughs> it on the surface is interesting and, and there there are cool ideas in it. It just, I'm having a hard time like finding all this. I'm having a hard time holding on to the salient details of the book. Um, I'm having a whole time hold, because there aren't a ton. Mm-hmm. You yes. Know. Run out in the forest, grab some stuff before the trees. Before eat the trees you. eat you. Before before you get evil deaded, and then <laughs> you know. I'd I'd forgotten that uh, Obi Wan's first girlfriend was a thing. I mean, we I I think so much about Satine that I I forgot he had a girlfriend before Satine. Well, and I like I think it's Odd asks him if you had a whatever a girlfriend or whoever what would they be like and he and the the dude uh the brother hits on him yeah i remember i read a a headline it was one of those terrible clickbait websites it was like obi-wan questions his sexuality a new book like he of course he's questioning his sexuality he's 14 he's been at a weird religious school that's what people do that's what you you know what people you know what people i got something to tell you welcome to the new star wars everybody's gay (laughs) fucking deal with it I just got done watching Sandman, possibly the gayest television show I've ever watched this side of like the L word. Like just, just, just deal with it. (laughs) I like how people get all incensed about like gender and sexuality stuff in Star Wars, but then a character shows up who expresses their emotions with tendrils and they're like, yep, that's perfectly normal. It's totally normal. Hold on. As long as they're not gay about it. It's also interesting. And I think they've started to do this. The idea that why would in a galaxy filled with countless types of aliens, why would there be only two genders? Like that doesn't make any, you know, that doesn't, I think Claudia Gray mentioned in one of her books that there were like, you know, beings, it was in bloodline. She mentioned there were beings of like six different genders at this club they were going to or whatever, you know, and that makes sense when you're dealing with beings from all over the galaxy. Like, you know, there wouldn't just be these, the, the idea of male and female, you know, there would be, there would be things in between and outside and, 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 um, I'm sorry, the sentiment cloud is it cis. That's ruined your day. <laughs> Look, that's where I draw the line. My disbelief ends here. 
what did I see the other day online? Only cis dealing absolutes. Um, <laughs> it's on some meme I saw, but it made me laugh at least in a week that I needed it. Yeah, I mean, I see, I had forgotten about Obi-Wan having a girlfriend anyway. I thought maybe this was going to, when this started, we were going to be dealing with Satine because we, we still need that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, mean, I would have much rather had that story because at least something would probably happen. Instead, we got Dex as our touchstone as our touchstone character. Dex the friendly miner. Just don't care about him. I can't. I, I don't mind him, but I don't care. It doesn't bother me that he's there. I just don't care about him as a character. His his backstory has been filled out enough for me that he's the shadow broker from Mass Effect. That's fine. I'm good with that. We're we're done. We don't need more. How does he go from minor? How does he go from minor to shadow broker? Did they did they have did 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 White have a lot of communication with um what was it Adam Christopher? I wonder between these two books. It seems like there was some at least. Yeah, because yeah. like this Dex is a little. I, I don't I don't know this whole idea of Dex as an information broker, but now he's back to being a minor. How does he become an information broker over the course of just a few years? I don't know. He probably sells the secret of there's a sentinel, sentinel planet hidden between <laughs> some rocks, some ice shields. Yeah, and there's, there's a reason old, we never hear about this planet again. And there's these little balls that if you pop them in your mouth, you turn into a Jedi. It's great. You so, know. old uncle was at low grip. He's working for Sheev, right? Because they're real kind of cagey about They never who, say, do they? Who the financer is. That's true. They don't. Now don't I'm think. pissed off because they never say, and I just realized it. Mm-hmm. What a terrible loose end to leave untied. I feel like they kind of hinted at it because they keep talking about how I, he betrays him. But Sheev has enough power. Yeah, but if he can jack up some clones or whoever. That's true. Some inquisitors or mm-hmm. somebody. I mean, imagine what happens if a force user eats one of those things. I do wish everyone had eaten one. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they can throw fireballs or they get a or they get a raccoon suit. <laughs> I mean, at least an extra man. I do like one of Obi-Wan's criticisms of them using the power. He was like, all you can do is jump and go fast. And I'm like, dude, you don't do much more than that. (laughs) (laughs) Especially at that stage. Yeah. A better Jedi than him have trouble feeling the emotions of others. All he does is just run around and jump. We do get his first force suggestion though. Yeah. We get his first, his first force, uh, my, his first Jedi mind trick. Um, and I think his first kill it seemed like it. Yeah. Seems like that's the first man that he killed. First being, sorry, that he kills. Well, I mean, if he's only ever been in the temple, he's always bitching about Qui-Gon not taking him anywhere. Yeah. He wouldn't have killed anybody on Coruscant without that being kind of a big deal. <laughs> that's true. He probably didn't kill anybody on Coruscant. We would have probably heard about that. News would have gotten out. Been all over the hollow. Well, no, yeah. they'd hush that up. Yeah. They'd sweep that under the rug. But I think, the like I said, I think the first section of the book gives us a lot of interesting stuff. Um, I was just let down by the rest of it. Here's my problem. Has this author read Master and Apprentice? Because the relationship issues he's having with Qui-Gon seem to be almost identical to the relationship problems he's still having in Master and Apprentice. It's like none of this 
takes place in the same universe because he is then in Master and Apprentice not understanding Qui-Gon in any way whatsoever yet again. It's like he starts over at square one. Yeah, but I think that makes sense. This is just about, this isn't about him understanding Qui-Gon. This is about him finding, refinding his connection to the force, right? And, and, and kind of coming back to it. It's not, it's not that at the end, he's like all of a sudden, like all of a sudden him and Qui-Gon are hunky dory. No, but he goes into this book feeling like they're not a good match, that this was a bad idea, that they shouldn't be together. Yeah. And it's the same thing in master and apprentice. He's feeling the same exact way at the beginning of that book. Yeah. But he's 16. I mean, I can imagine, you know, all it takes is one one more bat, one more snide comment from Qui-Gon and he's back in that mode, you know. Um, yeah. I can see it being a repeating pattern between well, the two of them. He's the worst teenage the girlfriend ever. And he says in the back, for all he learned recently, he still didn't understand Qui-Gon Jinn. Maybe he never would. But maybe at last he was ready to walk the path that lay ahead of him. So he's not like... Mm-hmm buying into Qui-Gon. Not yet. No. Yeah. He never does. Yeah. This is, he never 100% buys into Qui-Gon. And Qui-Gon f- screws him by sl- giving him by slapping him with this kid that he's got to train eventually. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I don't think their relationship is ever 100% copacetic. You know, I think Obi-Wan looks at other master and apprentices and goes like, why can't I have something like that? You know, and well, they talk about it. they all they compliment each other, and that's how they do it. And that after the ilum, after the whatever they call it, where you choose your padawan, and so it's not natural. Nothing's ever been that way. No. For him. Poor, poor Obi Wan. I don't feel like I'd spend ten years trying to call somebody who was rude to me, though. Like Qui Gon's dead. Like, why are you trying to call him still? Why are you trying to pick up the uh, the ghost phone? Well, I believe it was the great rock act Cinderella that once said, you don't know what you got till it's gone. And I think Andy probably realizes Qui-Gon had a lot of stuff right. Like That's true, too. Yeah. Once he's kind of, especially after the fall of everything, he's kind of like, oh, shit. Yeah. When you're sitting in your cave and you're like, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> some, some good yeah. points there, buddy. <laughs> our, our way didn't work. Maybe your way would have, you know. But then again, I would also think like maybe you could have seen this coming. <laughs> like you were the one that picked this kid. Yeah, that that would be my whole problem because I would want to see him again to go, dude, what the, the hell? <laughs> what the hell did you do? To what, me? what were you thinking, man? No wonder you're dead. Yeah, Yoda and Mace told you this was a bad idea. And you did it anyway. I don't know. Qui-Gon continues to be a, a, a fascinating character to me. but So, do you think Yoda did that for Obi-Wan or for Qui-Gon? Probably Both. Qui-Gon, right? Did what? Like, put them together. Oh. Like, is an attempt to, like, ground Qui-Gon yeah. back into the Jedi after Dooku left? It's not for Obi-Wan, that's for sure. No, he does, he does it for Qui-Gon to... to um, because Qui-Gon would never take an apprentice. Mm-hmm. I don't think... I, I, Qui-Gon's a way seeker. Yeah. They just don't have that title anymore. Because he's deep into the holocrons by now. Yeah. yeah. And like the prophecy and all that stuff. 
if if it was in the High Republic, Qui Gon would be a wayseeker. You know, he would be off on his own, doing his own research. He wouldn't need a Padawan. I think he's being in the same way that they eventually force Ahsoka onto Anakin because they feel like he needs somebody to be responsible for. It's kind of the same thing here. Because when things are going bad, having a kid is always the answer. That is the <laughs> that is the Filoni way. You know, as I look over at my Omega figure that I finally got. It's like season seven of Growing Pains all the time <laughs> at the Jedi Council. You know what was we I need? Cousin seven? Oliver. Yeah. <laughs> we need a little Leonardo. Or what was the kid on different strokes? Sam, the little yeah. redhead. Yeah. Those kids got kidnapped twice on that show. <laughs> twice they got kidnapped. By like and they met Nancy Reagan. <laughs> yeah. Be yeah, a kid didn't. is the message of the 80s. So, Ryan, what are we going to read next time? Have you ever wanted to go on a luxury vacation? I have. have I? Do you crave fine dining and luxury accommodations? I do. Do I? Join us next time when author Beth, Beth Revis takes us on a trip on the Halcyon. Where I'm 100% sure we're going to get Han and Leia's sexy time. <laughs> it's called The Princess and the Scoundrel. Parentheses, house sound tickets now on sale at the Walt Disney <laughs> We don't know. Have you started reading it yet? Well, no. I've seen no. the cover, oh. though. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that cover. Yeah. Hopefully, it'll be better than the comics. <laughs> Beth, we like Beth Revis. We like, we like yes. Rebel Rising. It's probably going to be a very excellent book. Yeah. And make me want some five-star luxury service. (laughs) But who doesn't? That'd be great. The Halcyon is the Cancun of the Star Wars galaxy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys. And thank you all for joining us. We will talk to you soon. Roger, roger.